So Brandon, you know in PowerPoint, when you're lining up pictures, text boxes, smart art, and it throws up those little like those little indicators of the relative alignment space to other objects on there. I'm very familiar with this. I a hundred percent the snap grid. That is, I hadn't thought about that till uh, uh, just recently, just just before we were recording. And I think that is in enterprise software. I shouldn't say enterprise software. In enterprise software that has a UI, productivity soft business software. Mm-hmm. I think that is like is like the pinnacle of good product management and design. Right, somewhere along <laughs> the way. People who are working on PowerPoint, they understood that this was a core function that people who use PowerPoint do every single day over and over and over again, that there were hours, there were like literally probably trillions of dollars in in clock time spent on lining up objects and presentations, right? Yep. Just so much time. And some, it would be fun to track down who kind of like the, the people or the group of people who are driving this. But at some point... There was whatever they call a product manager or a designer or whatever in Microsoft. And they were like, hey, my my fellow Microsofties, this is the most important feature we will perhaps ever implement in our lives as programmers. Not important because it will like, you know, save CO2 emissions or like allow people to uh, defend freedom or like, you know, connect people together in a joyous way with with people through social media, but it will simply just save humanity an uncountable amount of hours and, and improve them in a way that they will not even appreciate. And so that, that whole like lining things up, that is an amazing, that's going to be my top feature until I discover another one. Cause I, I use that all the time. I feel like this one, about, I bet you I got implemented very quickly. Like, I think this one was just like, cause I think even people yeah, just testing yeah. it, like, I think there was sort of uh it's also has a high coolness factor, right? Like it's one of those things that demonstrates really well. So yeah, um, yeah. The, any, any type of snap to grid, like whether it's audio, audio editing presentation, it, because it's, it's kind of the first AI. It's like, Oh, I see that you're, I think you're trying to line this up. Let me just do it for you. And I'm a computer uh-huh. and uh-huh. I can calculate the math so fast for you. That'll seem like science fiction. And, uh, and it is, it's phenomenal. When anytime I encounter a feature like that, where it's, uh, um, almost like, you know, any type of autocomplete is in that a little bit as well. Autocomplete's even a little bit, you know, scary yeah. at times when you're writing emails, you're like, this is great. This is why computers are great. Like you're a few steps ahead of me and correcting me and making, and you know exactly what I want to do. Now, we can only have that, that feeling all the time with a computer rather than, you know, all the other times when we're completely frustrated by them. You know, I think, I think, I think maybe you're right. I think, I think, hmm. Hmm. I don't know if I want to correct this because now, now you've made me think that uh, autocomplete, that is also a phenomenal feature in any piece of software. But I think maybe spell check, mm-hmm. that might actually be the number one feature that software has ever come up with. Well, I'm going to go further. Think- I'm going to say the Google spell check, like, you know, the did you mean is yeah remains to me like i know i know it's not all that complicated to implement and i've read about it but it does remain it remains to me like almost science fiction the fact that i have typed in words that are so beyond misspelled it's like not even remotely close right like wrong first consonant like i mean anything and it's like and then it's like did you mean and it will come up with the exact thing and you're like 
this okay. is this is science fiction, right? And okay. I want actually to go further. Yeah. If there was some way, I want the Google suggestions for spelling to be available anytime. And I do a spell check anywhere and any, I want I, you know, you know how, uh, I think you, you know, you, you were going to talk about, or maybe you re- showed this week that you could uh, switch out your uh, mail application on uh, yes, your, yes. your iPhone. People are really excited about that. I want an equivalent setting to say, no, when you spell check, go use the Google spelling check suggestion service. That's the only Ooh. one I want to use. I want That's it to be used good. forever. Because yeah, yeah. it literally reads my mind. It is part of my body. I No, I should say this way. I am part of it. I can no longer function outside of it. That's right. That's right. We, we, uh, we have joined with Google Spellcheck. <laughs> we, finally, we finally found the godhead that we can uh, become part of. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's just say these three are the, the holy trinity of the best software products ever, right? Which is uh, uh, Snap to Grid slash Alignment. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, and then autocomplete and spell check. And I think, you know, we could collapse autocomplete and sp- and spell check together. But I think autocomplete is also good for just like, you know, I don't know. I mm, I think autocomplete spell check. It's, it's hard because sometimes. I think anticipating something that you're searching for is maybe. Not I mean, it's great but it's maybe top 10, not top, top three. However, autocomplete as in like, this might be a, a, a trivial example, but sort of like there are 10,000 tags that I use. And as I type them, it's going to help me narrow down to the one that I want. Right. Or, or auto maybe, yeah. Auto cause autocomplete in search. Cause you go to Netflix and you want to watch something like you want to watch the Goonies. Right. And you just type in G O O and then boom, you're done. Right. Yep. Like, you know, so maybe because there's not going to be the goopies. Mm-hmm. So like, but I think we should almost auto- break them into categories. Like, I think uh-huh. autocomplete. The main benefit there is keeping you like in focus, right? Because when you're like typing and you're like, what you know, because like you're tagging something, but you're kind of doing that as a, a larger thing, like you're editing a document or whatever. So the uh-huh. more that the tool can help you stay in focus, not have to be like, how many tags do I have again? Or it's like, you know, what I mean, it's, it's sort of like suggesting and it's keeping you like your mind on what you need to think about. And finishing it. So like that's the main benefit there, right? Whereas yeah, I think Google yeah. spell check and kind of autocomplete in, in, in a search scenario is more around helping you complete the overall task, right? Because like you're in focus, like you're like, that's what you're focused in on. You're like not trying yes. to spell it and you're not sure what it means. Like the thing that's uh-huh. especially uh-huh. incredible about Google uh, spell check. I mean, I don't even know if we call this spell check. It's like, if you want to like, look for like a model number, like you're like, you have a electronics or a, uh-huh. Uh, an appliance uh-huh. or something like that. And like, you're not sure like, like which numbers and letters in here are part of the model number and which are part of like the serial number. And like, you just yeah. kind of start t- typing it in and it somehow mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. just picks out the model number for you. And you're like, Oh yeah. And then you click on that link and then it shows you like, you know, usually like you're downloading the PDF of instructions or the manual. Yeah. And you're yeah. like, this is exactly what I needed. And it's, it's like, I wouldn't even been able to figure that out. So, so in that case, it's like, it's actually completing the task for you. And that is the task. Whereas the other scenario, it's keeping you in focus and allowing you uh-huh. to continue uh-huh. your work on like, like writing that. your document. Now, now I'm going to, I'm going to combine together some things here and suggest the, 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 the third best feature one, you know, snap to grid and alignment helps not, not just snap to grid, but the trying to teach, you know, show you how you can align things. Well, I think spell check is number one, very mm-hmm. important for humanity. Yeah. 
The second one is allowing you to line things up properly. Okay. Yep. And the third, I'm going to, I'm going to collapse together a lot of what we talked about and call the third search. Yeah. I like it. I think, I think, I think that's whole, yeah, that's I, the Holy Trinity of software features right there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and each of those, well, the first two are very straightforward, right? Like, but search is a very, very nuanced way of looking at things. And search includes a lot of what you're talking about. Search is not just like a card catalog where you can go and kind of look for things. Search is like a way of kind of helping you figure out the right words to type in for what you're looking for, like like you do in a Google and so forth and so on. So I think that's uh, I think so, that's what we're going for there. Now, you know, the rest of top 10, we can talk about that some other time. But if you didn't have, whatever the technology is, if you didn't have those three features, it would not be as good. Those are the three features that really have, uh, I think, moved the bar for humanity. That's, that's, that's what's been going on there. Hello from Twilio. Today's show is sponsored by Twilio. Businesses all over the world right now are trying to reinvent how they connect with the world. Whether a business is delivering packages, treating patients, or running a global customer support center, their customers need them to invent new ways to stay connected. Twilio is the platform that Fortune 500 companies and startups alike trust to build seamless communications experiences with phone calls, text messages, video calls, and more. Really, the only limit becomes your developers' imaginations. It's time to build. Visit Twilio.com to learn more. And of course, we thank Twilio for sponsoring our show. So, Brandon, uh, it was it was VMworld this week, and uh, you know, I I I have to uh, I watched the three main keynote sessions about my business unit, my BU, mm-hmm. uh, the VMware Tanzu area. It was nice. We had a I think we had a couple of announcements. If I remember, I think one of them was uh, some support for Oracle Cloud, which is great. I had I had just been in an EBC the day before, and someone had asked us ask on the EBC if we had Oracle Cloud support, and uh, someone very deftly answered the question without answering the question and moved on. This is something uh, you know when that happened, I realized in a Have you done any of these uh, online EBCs, Brandon? Uh, no, I've not had the pleasure. How how are they going? They're all right. I mean, I think. But does it you know, differ than this is you do get some EBC. This is different than just like a customer presentation. Like, I, you know, of course, do all that all the time. But like, yeah, what, yeah. you know what? What makes it different is like, do they get like uh, like like dinner sent to them? Because you were doing the wine thing for a while. Do they get yeah. like, uh, like no, a, a different no. um, presentation tool? Do you use like some fancy presentation tool when you talk oh, to no, them? You just you just I mean, here. OK, Let, we'll spend a little bit of time. All on right. Because like the first thing that's going to happen. Right? I mean, I mean. So normally with an EBC meeting, there are two uh, prep thing, two styles of prep that happen. One, uh, you have, and when I say field, I mean the salespeople, right? Whether they're technical or the non-technical salespeople. But you got two styles of salespeople. You got the uh, very busy uh, parachute in all the time salesperson who's basically just like, send me an abstract and I'll see you the day of the event and just talk about some stuff. Right. And they don't really like they might tell you some prep about who this company is, what their deal is, but they're not really going to spend too much time. Even if you have a 30 minute call with them, they're probably going to be a few minutes late, maybe not even make it. And they're just going to tell you some you know, stuff about the account. They're going to be like, I don't know. They want to hear with me. It's always like they want to hear about, um, thankfully, for what what I know about. They want to hear about how large organizations are trying to change their culture and development. And that might be it that you hear. Now, you have a second type 
of uh, preparation you have with field people where you've got like two to three hours of prep meetings that you have. And the first one, and I generally would favor the second type, right? Because I, I want to know, right? And I also like have the tolerance having been an analyst that I'm actually interested in companies. So I was in a prep thing recently where it was an hour long and it was basically 45 minutes of people describing this giant organization to me and how it's laid out and their concerns and all the different business units. And it was wonderful. And and then they kind of went over the ex- – they'd actually gathered expectations from the people who were going to be at the EVC and what they were looking for. And they went over that. And I was like, great, done. And then I told them what I could deliver, and it matched up so far perfectly, right? So that was wonderful. So that part – the prep stuff is all the same, right? Now, there is an additional prep that you sometimes get that I've learned to not show up at, which is the, oh, we're all traveling to town for the EVC. We should meet up the night before and have dinner, right? And, you know, I don't want to do that. So I, I generally, because at, at, at best, you're going to have fun hanging out with people and then you're going to have too much to drink and eat and stay up too late. And then you got to go to an EVC the next day, right? Like yeah. that's... More or less what's going to happen. That's a very mature way of looking at that. I like that. Yeah, and you're not really, for the downside, you're not really going to get anything super valuable. And even at best slash worst, someone's going to actually want to, like, have dinner and then, like, work on the slides. Yeah, that's bad. Don't want that. Yeah. Definitely do not want that. So I'm not interested in the night before, like, meet up for stuff unless I really know the person like that's whatever. As always, if you actually know the person and your friends, it's a whole other thing. So that part's all the same, except for that one thing. But yeah, I haven't actually thought about that. So to extemporaneize a little bit, the generally the point of the EBC is two things. I'm doing this principles up thing instead of the American uh, conclusion, <laughs> uh, like straight up. But generally the point of the EBC is one, it's just ongoing customer relationship management of every year we just meet up so I can go over the slides and right. tell you so what the portfolio is. just account-based management, right? Get yeah, some FaceTime, yeah. everyone have dinner, right. shake hands, renew the contract. To- mm-hmm. Totally cool, right? Or the second style of EBC is like we're trying to get them to become a regular customer, right? right. Um, now, there's another variant that's like there's some crisis that happened, but that's not usually an EBC. That's usually like just a an emergency meeting that you have put together. So... Um, with the first one, it's just like, I don't know, you just run through the slides. It's fine. There might be some questions here and there. Like, I don't really see that as much different, except that there's not like the palling around. Like, you don't get the in-person stuff, um, which I think is the real value of just the account-based management is like, I don't know, like, like one, you want to educate the the existing customer about what's going on and you get the chance to kind of upsell them on other stuff and they get the chance to learn about new things and kind of smell it out. But really, it's just a chance to get FaceTime and go expense some nice meals and hang out. And um, oftentimes for the customers, it's an excuse to actually make a trip to go somewhere and, you know, be off the clock more or less, right? To be like, oh, I got to go do this thing. Now, of course, you still got to check your email and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, it's nice. Uh, But the second type of EBC, which is more frequently the one that I'm involved in, is kind of like we're trying to like gain a new customer. And then the ones that I've done online, like, those are they are a lot different because you basically give a presentation and then there are a few questions and then that's kind of it right and <laughs> and and so it's almost like a very exclusive webinar where people actually ask questions 
that are kind of interesting. Whereas normal webinar questions are always like, you know, uh, what what is your position on the uh, end of lifing of Windows 2008 as respect to uh, Monad support for uh, Hyper-V? Like, you know, you get very like specific technical questions. Whereas like like in these things, I think I think the missed opportunity is to just sort of like flip the table on all of the agenda and the content and really just like start to whiteboard and talk with people. And then also to kind of like have that more open-ended conversation you would have with like some new people over like, you know, catered sandwiches or like going out at night and things like that. So it is, I mean, I think it is necessary to do, but it's not as effective as being in person which is unfortunate. Like it doesn't feel quite, it's hard, right? Cause when you're doing the second kind of EBC where you're, it's basically sort of like enterprise vendor dating, like you really need all of that extra space and kind of like in the room metality to kind of like figure out on both sides what's going on. Whereas you don't really get that. I don't know. And, and it's also kind of like for both sides when you're online, it's easy just to be like, you know, as Dr. Cat says at the end of every episode, oh, time's up, right? Like, it's just like, you know, we're done. And then you just kind of uh, chop off. So, but I think in the end, right, the EBC or even the presentation one-on-one with the client, like the way you know you're succeeding at them is if they eventually become conversations, right? Because yes. that's the right. moment where you're going from potential vendor to trusted partner to uh-huh you know, just basically educating people. And I think that's, you know, so I think that's a good tip for anyone either. If you've ever attended a DBC, what people want is for you to start, you being the attendee, to start talking and start asking questions, revealing your problems, asking specifically yes. what they can help you with, pointing out and being, and also being not confrontational, but also just being like, well, it looks like you guys don't do this. Like I need this, right? Totally. Because that's the point where, Everyone can either agree, they can say, that's right, I, I do, we do not provide this, but we have a partner, we do it another way, or that's the potential to correct the misunderstanding and say, actually, we do. We have, uh, we just had our, our latest conference, we just announced a new feature or did a new acquisition, and then that's the chance for them to get educated on that. And so yeah, 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 I, yeah. I think ultimately, you know, I, you know, maybe one thing is we talk a lot about streaming and presenting and you know stuff that we do all the time, but I think maybe that's something for just to think about all the people that sit in the audience all the time. Like when you go to these, if you're ready to present, or sorry, if you're ready to talk and like, you really know what you need out of it, like that presentation or that meeting is going to be a lot more valuable to you when you're on the other side and you're just droning on and you're giving the same pitch over and over that you've done a million times in a webinar in an EBC and an online EBC, it's not super valuable for the vendor. And it's usually not, that valuable for the client, right? Or the the, yeah, the audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that's always the thing. It's like, if you're not going to ask any questions and you don't really want to be there and, you know, and maybe someone's making you and that's different. But, but I, I think I often find like, you know, if you just start asking questions, just get something out of it. Like there's nothing I think, especially in a small setting that I pre- appreciate more than someone just asking a question, even if it's off topic, because it's like, oh, it just lets me know yep. that like, let, let's let talk about that. I don't want to talk about this if it's not interesting to you. Like, I'm tired of talking about this. Let's talk about your thing. Yeah, yeah. No, you, you rate you maybe to close this out, like you raise a good topic. I mean, a good a good point that I am only just now not starting to appreciate, but trying to think about 
how to operationalize at, you know, like, like how to do something with, which is, which is in an EVC or, or really any good customer meeting. I, I'm, I'm hesitating because I don't know the way of putting it, but you're trying to sniff each other out to see if you want a second meeting. Now, exactly. I don't mean that in a cynical way, but I think one of the things that the often valid cynicism about enterprise software vendors, uh, that it kind of like that cynicism doesn't realize is that now don't tell everyone this, but like, we don't actually want everyone as a customer, <laughs> right? Like we only want people depending on what you're selling. We only want people as a customer who are going to be successful and like match what it is we offer. Right. And so to a certain extent, like we're trying to find out if we, if you'll be a good customer that we have something for. Right. And so like, for example, I've been in a few uh, meetings where I'll talk for a while and it turns out that someone is a storage manager. Right. right. And here I am selling like, you know, uh, very expensive specific software for people who write and run their own software. Right. And the storage manager is like, well, that was fun, but I don't give a fuck. Right. <laughs> Not what I'm here for. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I have also been in EBCs like full on the first type of EBC. That's just sort of like ongoing account management. Um, not only in my current job, but other ones where you're presenting to someone and they're just sort of like, sounds good. Right. Like I think I was in an EBC once, uh, with some military people and literally the general there was falling asleep mm -hmm. and it was, it was just like, okay, here we are EBC in. Right. And, you know, I mean, it was, uh, it was a little strange, but I think, I think that is the, and that is the problem with the online stuff is you don't have, it's hard to get that spontaneity going, right? Like there was one I was on recently and someone was just, this is a, a, another thing that I think I've mentioned before is I'm always struggling with, you know, when you're talking to people, you're supposed to like ask them questions and get them involved. And there's all these tactics that you can use to sort of get that conversation that you were talking about going. And as longtime listeners know, like I'm not interested, right? Like I, I don't want audience interaction. I just want to like do my thing and be out. Right. The only the only audience interaction I want is you telling me that I'm awesome. Other than that, not I got I got three kids. If I wanted to be challenged, I would be myself and go home and like, you know, try to figure out a lunch other than a peanut butter sandwich to make them. I got shit going on. But I mean, I'm only 75 percent truthful in what I'm saying. The other part is joking. Uh, but. uh like someone was trying really hard to like ask questions. I even wrote in my notes, like, you know, oh, he keeps asking them to draw, trying to draw them in. And they would just like, they would sort of answer the questions. But like when you're online, you can't really like draw people into a conversation very easily. Whereas if you're in person, for whatever reason, it's much easier to have someone just like start casually talking with you and draw them. And there's almost this pressure of like, we're in person, I've asked the room a question. And so someone is going to feel like they need to answer. Whereas when you're online, it's sort of like, oh, I'm online. I don't need to answer, right? Like I, I have been trained, most humans in an enterprise setting have been trained that when you're on a meeting online, you can just be quiet. Like there's no, like you don't need to contribute. Yeah, some learned and behavior, I, stay on mute, keep yourself on mute unless you have something to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't yeah, dominate. And so, and, 
and so I, like I don't know how to do the thing where you sort suddenly like you know never move past the cover slide and you've had a great 60 minute conversation that's totally drawn people in and you've whiteboarded this is something that like I've seen lots of people do this, but someone like a James Waters at our organization is very good at this, right? Like it's his his specialty, in addition to all the things that he knows. Uh, and like, I just don't really do that, but it's almost impossible to do that in an online setting. It just, uh, I don't know, it's just very hard. Anyways, <laughs> speaking of EBCs online, Brandon, VMworld. Yes. I, I, it's still, I think this is the last day of it, so it must still be going on mm-hmm. since it's... Uh, I don't know. It's basically like 8 a.m. in Austin, right? Did I get my time zone conversion right? <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> but it's late afternoon. It's probably wrapping up. It'd be my guess. Uh-huh. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Now, now there was a. Uh, as always, I don't comment on acquisitions mm-hmm. uh, at companies that I, I work at. So there, there was an acquisition there. So here, let me just exciting. quickly mention to get everyone up to date. You can stay silent. Yeah, that yeah. VMware announces the intent to acquire SaltStack. So, good conversation. I think maybe this conversation that you can comment on is. Cote was does seem like set. I don't think it's breaking any news as we've talked about last couple of weeks. Chef got acquired, and uh, last week I think we talked about Run Deck, and I, I, it does feel like there's a lot of uh, there's a little run, if you will, in the general category of automation. And you know, mm. and I was thinking about this the other day because we talk a lot about CI/CD and DevOps and things like this, but but maybe that is what makes this a little bit more complicated than it needs to be. I was thinking about just the general idea that. Really, every enterprise vendor and every enter- set of enterprise tools, you always need to automate things, right? So the idea that yes. every company needs to have some solution that helps them automate the task and things that go on within their product suite is just universal. Like, I mean, you can go back through, I mean, even the iPhone, right? Even the iPhone has an automator or set of tools, right? You can create like, you know, do this, then this, and this. And so, you know... So maybe that the the takeaway I kind of was thinking about that was because we've been talking about like, well, maybe people could have spent more money on Chef, right? Or more money in this area. And it's like, well, there seems to be some premium, right? It's, it isn't super valuable. Like these companies don't go on to be worth billions of dollars for whatever reasons, but there's always a need to like add automation to an overall suite. And I just think maybe that's what's going on here is that we have a lot of companies that have mm. very rich stock valuations and every one of these companies generally needs more automation that they can provide to their customers. In the EBC, they need a slide that says like, hey, here's how you can automate a lot of the things that we're talking about today. Um, and if the price is right, you know, at a relatively low valuation in comparison to these gigantic companies, that may be the reason that we see more and more companies is that the value of automation is when it's sold with something else. The value of automation itself, independently of that, it's just a lot less. So I think maybe that's what's going mm. on in this part of the market right now. Mm. Yeah, yeah. To, to be very clear, to generalize outside of any place I might work on, work with and, and their acquisitions. That is, well, one, you know, we're fond of pointing out the cyclical nature of the APM market and, you know, systems management stuff in general. And I don't know if we've like considered the cyclical nature of the automation market, right? And I think... Um, you know, you had the blade, the blade logic and the opsware, you know, the thing that helps set up everyone's favorite uh, A16Z, in addition to, I'm sure, much Netscape wealth. Sure. Uh, but like, so, you know, often forgotten that the hard thing about hard things is all about a uh, 
very exciting automation vendor the that cheat. had very badass posters. If I, I should, if I wasn't talking and I knew it would distract me, I'd look up my favorite uh, Blade Logic poster. Maybe I'll find that later. But it is, uh, man. Let, let let me do my standard thing. Like if you, if you do even a uh, sort of moderate reading of that book, it is almost absurd. And it's sort of like, this is a successful enterprise and therefore you should take advice from me. It's basically like the, the reason we IPO'd is because this place was a shit show. <laughs> like it's, it's crazy. Anyhow, moving on. Uh, like, yeah, there, this probably is like the end of a pretty long automation market or you know it's it's confusing because the end might maybe, actually maybe have... a cycle right it's like end of this yeah, cycle yeah, yeah, right? yeah, i think yeah, that's yeah, what you're exactly. saying is, like, yeah. is happening here now 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 it's confusing because i think i think when D docker and containers came along it really like messed up with the clarity of what automation was now by clarity what's confusing here and and a distinct a distinction that's very rarely made, you know, Matt Ray would probably know better, is like there's basically like developers writing software, sticking it in containers and running it. And then there's the other ninety-eight percent of the market that needs to automate things. And like they're not so concerned about like, you know, Docker and containers. They're just sort of like exactly as you're saying, like we need to write a bunch of stuff. You can call it a script or not a script or whatever that just automates like shit changing on machines. Right. Mm -hmm. And like, we need to manage doing that. And and I think we get obsessed with that 2% of things. I don't know if it's actually 2%, but arguably to your point, like, I think you could say that that 98% of just like boring, fantastic, valuable automation, it probably is at the end of a cycle of just like, that I used to call it when I was at Red Monk, like model driven automation, which I think was based on some early conversations I had with like uh, Luke Kinese and Andrew when they were there. But yeah, that probably means there's a new type of automation to come out or that the people who did the existing type of whatever we call it, model driven automation will uh, come up with some new thing. Right. You know, well, all you just service go, now and new, and new relic. Yeah. And I was say go back. I mean, I kind of feel like the waves, I mean, it's not a hundred percent. I think people can disagree with some of this, but you can go kind of go back and be like batch jobs. Right. That was sort of the first kind of like way back in the day. Hey, we just need to like schedule this stuff to happen at a certain time, usually at night. And then that kind of led to uh, workload automation, right. Which was kind of like mm -hmm. a slightly different way. It's like, Oh, you don't need to wait every day. You don't need to put everything in one job. Like you could just kind of do it on demand. Right. And that's like way back in maybe the 90s. And then you had, I think what you're kind of alluding to, more of the kind of the development. And then I guess parallel to this is just simple things like make files, right? Build tools are also happening kind of as, as a, a separate kind of thread, right? And then you kind of see probably what we people would say, you know, uh, workload automation and developer tool automation start to merge, right? And that sort of like spawns kind of this generation that we're in here, whatever you want like, call it DevOps, call it model-based automation, config management, right? And it's like this wave, this cycle, I think is sort of coming to the end, like what you're saying, like these companies are getting snapped up and like put in places where there's some targeted needs for automation. And that will set the table along with containers and Kubernetes and all the stuff that, you know, is being announced now, that'll set the table for some new type of automation 
going forward that that many of the people that we probably talk about like will lead they they'll come up with some other ideas as as they go from whatever we want to call this now we'll just use your term model-based automation to whatever you know probably have some kind of ai or something like that involved in it um so it's kind of interesting to see like the you know see kind of this segment kind of come to a close it's almost like graduation if you will like oh they're graduated they're off into the world now with their their vendors and now we're going to start looking at the next wave of uh young companies coming up and see what they offer yeah. 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 But it, it, it is like, uh, it, it is, it is funny that like, you know, everything comes at once in M&A world, like all of the, uh, you know, all, all the various things like pop up on their own. Mm-hmm. So, so we'll see. So what else, what else, uh, you know, right, we got to talk I, about the I, VMware. I stuff, but I what, the... what else did you notice with the VMware? I was going to say, I, uh, we, we've got to talk about, um, you know, the, the puzzle slide, you know, it's, I think I, I commented that the other day that I thought it was like a, a variation of the, uh, the burger slide that mm-hmm. you're so fond of, but, uh, yes. you know, I watched, uh, how do you say is, how do you say the CEO of VMware's name correctly? It's Pat. Gels- Pat Gels- Gelsinger. Gelsinger. No, I was, I was about to say it wrong. So did a good job. You know, of course, everyone's doing the produce videos. Very good. Saw lots of good customer stories in there, but I spent most of my time on the puzzle slide. So, so coach, hey, these are the, the, the components of the puzzle and tell me which part you, you are the most interacting with. There's intrinsic security app modernization, multi-cloud, virtual cloud networking, and of course the digital workplace on the side. So I spent most of my interest in the app modernization. Where where do you spend most of your time when you're talking to customers in this puzzle slide? Oh, I'm I'm app modernization. 100% Absolutely. all the time. Yeah, you know, multi-cloud comes up every now and then, but that's that's uh you know, multi-cloud and 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 multi-cloud on its own is great good stuff, very whatever. But like in my world of agile software development and app modernization, multi-cloud is just like, uh, you know, we assume that food has flavor. It's just sort of table stakes for, for what's going on. So I guess maybe take us through the history. Like where is pivotal, like most represented in this? Cause that's maybe like the thing I think you can bring to the table. So, so pivotal, pivotal is an app modernization. So the business unit that I am in, that pivotal is in that, uh, Heptio is in Wavefront, and uh, there's new names for these things. But that Tanzu is in is called MapBU, which is Modern Application. I forget what that. I think it's like App. The AP is Modern Application Business Unit, and so it's all application modernization. And then, as I'm sure you saw in the keynote, right? Like the the idea there is that uh, you know. There's a bunch of people who have existing uh, states of applications and uh, they want to not only sort of like uh, modernize them, but they want to do application development in a modern style. So basically in in VMware talk, app modernization is developer, right? Is like writing software and uh, anyone who's coding and programming. Now, I don't know if that's represented in this burger slide here. (laughs) But that is the uh, the app modernization that's, that's world that message. I live in. Yeah, yeah, no, I, well, I mean, to me, it's I sometimes I, I just probably oversimplify the keynotes, but I just kind of come back to like I know Tanzu was introduced last year, but I really feel like this, like to me, this is the moment, right? Like VMware has this massive install base, and I was just saying at my my current employer, we were talking about it today. It's like. I just think the VMware admin, the, v, the VMware user base is so passionate around VMware. They love it. Um, we can talk about, like, I think we talked about why and some other things, but 
this is this moment, I think this kind of, uh, for VMware, it's like, okay, they want to maintain that. And they've, you know, essentially, you know, all of you have built in the uh, capability to now run, you know, Kubernetes and all the cloud native stuff. So the real interesting part of this going forward, is this the moment that like, yes, all of those people that have VMware today decide ultimately their modern development should be continue on VMware. Like to me, that's like, that's like the central yeah. argument or the central proposal, I would say. When I left the keynote, that's really what the, the CEO of VMware is to me is proposing, right? He's proposing, we've been with you for a long time. We've done all these great things with VMs and we want you to continue on with us, right? And it's like, and then of course they went through the slides of um, the thing that's really interesting about VMware is that he had, I think every um, major uh, do you call them hyperscalers? I don't like the name hyperscalers, but when I, you know, the, the quote unquote big cloud partners. So you have AWS, mm. Azure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Google Cloud, IBM Cloud, Alibaba Cloud, Oracle Cloud are all on there. So incredible job by VMware to basically be partnered with everyone, be everywhere. And now there's going to be this moment going forward, right? Like, does everyone choose it? So it's interesting. Like, I just think it is. I, I do think like this is a moment like you should like in the VMware history, I don't know what's going to happen, but it definitely deserves like a solid dot in the VMware timeline. This is sure. the moment uh, Tanzu made its big push. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I'm sure you guys are very optimistic about it and, and I'm sure, you know, I have no doubt you're going to have like tons of slides and tons of EBCs going around it. Um, but I do always, I guess I contrast it with the one thing just to give maybe fair, fair, uh, a, a little bit of not just be all happy talk on VMware, but, uh, it does come with complexity. That's the thing. That's the part I think that is yeah, always yeah, underlying yeah. these presentations is, is this too complicated, uh, for the, or will the complexity rather of this offering limit its adoption. And like, I'm interested to see what happens in the next year to see how that plays out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so first of all, I think you, uh, I think, I think, I guess, I guess, uh, as it were, we and you sort of nailed the, the simplicity of the vision, right? Which is just like, I mean, to put it in my, in, in my snarky, but like genuine way, like, you know, hey, computers, right? Like, it's just like, if you're doing stuff with computers, you, uh, you should do stuff with VMware, right? Like wherever it is, like, you know, at the, at the infrastructure layer or at the software layer or at the client layer, you know, everything basically except, is this true? Everything except sort of like end user software layer. Like there was a time way back when I was at the tail end of Redmonk where VMware had some user productivity stuff like they bought like prezi or something and they had like file sharing <laughs> yeah. and a long time ago so yeah yeah, yeah. Hyperic, so there's an old one for you yeah a lot of crazy stuff yeah, like that. yeah so so whereas now it's like that traditional uh infrastructure software portfolio that is everything short of like what i would call an application right an application that you use to do something and yeah, I mean, with with the with the the app modernization stuff, as you were saying, right? Like the idea is that uh, writing software or, or running software that you write and managing the just managing that is part of the infrastructure offering that you have. I mean, it is like it's a very like. IBM before it shit the bed with all this cognitive Watson smart city nonsense 
sort of position. It's just like <laughs> whatever, whatever like infrastructure stuff you need to help run your business with computers, we have, or in the case of IBM, we partner with people to have, and we'll just like do that for you. Right. Mm. And I think, I think that's how things are being set up, uh, you know, without so, going down a weird AI path. What, one question I wanted to ask you, I wanted to see how you, you, um, address this in your day-to-day EBCs and just like, I don't know, just talking about all this stuff. The one thing that I see is like, you know, cause I alluded to the complexity, but really like I often, when I'm talking to clients around, especially migrating and modernizing, um, we end up talking about, I, I just really talk about it. It's like, it's the five, there are five major players here that come up over and over AWS, GCP, Azure, VMware. And I'm, I'm actually just going to say red hat. I don't mean IBM. I just mean OpenShift, Right. So so when you're talking to people who have not, who are undecided, like they just don't like, they know that they need to modernize. They've heard all of these vendors, right? Uh-huh. And, you know, there's this tendency, right? Early in the sales process to always talk about the business benefits, understand the business roadmap and how it impacts, you know, this business positively or negatively, right? Mm-hmm. But there's this moment in the sales cycle where, like you need to get into the details because just saying like, Oh, we're going to migrate to like, it's very easy to just show those five on a slide. Be like, Oh, I can move it to AWS or I can move it to Azure or any of these. Right. But yeah, yeah. Each one of those things in itself, understanding them is very complicated, right? Like to get fine people, staff people to get your applications moved over to that is a serious effort. And you can't, um, I feel like there is this tendency to just, constantly in presentations on slides like hide all this complexity right so i always feel like this is like the struggle with i this is the place i feel most sympathetic to customers and clients it's like at some point i gotta know that the thing that i think you're about to do for me i can do it too i can manage it or i know how hard it is to ultimately get it all working right like sometimes we've joked on this uh, podcast it's like you know, you set up OBS, right? And you're like, I, I, and you've suggested, I, I was like, I need to do that too. But it's like, it's not so much that I, I, I'm not capable of is like, I just don't want to go do it. You know what I mean? Like, I know it's going to take me a couple of days and I'm going to have to go through and update my Mac and, you know, do some third-party configuration yeah. and stuff like that. But I think these projects, these modernization projects, like there's a tendency, I think, I think at times to just gloss over like, oh, it's all the same. But like, no, like there is like when you start cracking open any one of these platforms, there's going to be it's going to be hard. You're going to have to learn some new stuff because is it's going to do everything you want, but it's going to require a lot of effort. And because you're going to have to customize it to do it the way you want. Um, and I think that's the hardest thing when I'm talking to people, like helping them make those decisions. But at the same time, I think ultimately like the clients and the customers, like they have to just go do it and try it themselves. And I think that's like a, yes. um, it is something that's unsatisfying. Like you can't really tell them that they have to come to their own opinion on that. But I don't think like people want the shortcut, but there's no shortcut. Like you got to go install OBS on your Mac, yourself, Brandon, and live through it. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to know if it's the right solution. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So th- th- this is like, let's see, it's always a challenge to see if I can remember everything I've thought about while you were talking, you know, you know, as I, as I often like to joke, I, I read not all of them, but I read all of these books about like, you're supposed to listen. And every time I'm reading it, I've like, yeah, but what if I fucking forget the brilliant ideas I had while someone was talking? <laughs> like, it's just like, I, I, I need to find a, like uh, talking about cycles, like hopefully in about two or three years, we'll have some cycle where it's like, everyone's listening and no one's talking. So let's talk about how to talk. And then we'll, 
we'll be back to six page memos and how to do PowerPoints and, you know, a flipboard with like three, you know, fried egg layers of why and all that, which will be fine. That's no problem. Anyways, uh, see, I've almost forgotten it, Brandon. It's right there on, on the horizon. I'm chasing it. Just chasing down. after it's it. Coming down. It's coming It's all coming back to you now. So. So yeah, I I uh, this is a good time to add. So I've started doing like a daily stream over at the in the VMware Tanzu thing. I call it Tanzu Talk Daily. If you go to twitch.tv slash VMware Tanzu, uh, you can see my daily thing. It's uh, you know maybe for uh, U.S. people, it's at 11 a.m. Amsterdam time, unless it's not. But uh, you know I am here, and I was just was it today? I was talking about the weirdness of of this in an oblique way about EBCs again. And when it comes to, to use a, an idiom, eating the elephant all at once, right? Or the complexity of this thing. And I think like a metaphor is if you are worrying about finding purpose in life and your start was to like read all of Western philosophy or get an EBC on like, I don't even know who who the fuck's before Aristotle. I forget if Heraclitus is before Aristotle or not, but like, you know, from, from like, I mean, before Socrates, I should say, if you, if you were trying to get, I think Homer is before Socrates because Socrates refers to Homer and there's probably some latent philosophy in Homer, but like, if you were to go, let's, let's go even further. If you were to study Western philosophy from Hammurabi to Rorty, I don't know who a modern person would be. Rorty's after Foucault or whatever, right? But like you would just like see an EBC on that and be like, I still have no idea what the fuck the purpose of life is, right? And I sure as shit don't know how to implement it in my enterprise, right? right? Like, and so I think, I think the issue, that's the issue that you get with like a huge everything portfolio from a vendor and a huge kind of like everything EBC is like, well, I mean, if you want to know everything, we're going to tell you everything, right? Let's kind of like what we do. We, we know that and we're just looking for it. Whereas like what I was talking about, I think, I think in, in today's thing is like, and maybe this is me trying to just like make EBCs more interesting for me is like, I almost feel like if you're, a buyer, an enterprise, and you want to like modernize or transform or whatever, like don't start with an EBC, like start with here is like one application I want to modernize and like start working on that. And as you find problems, call up your vendor friends and be like, how can you help me solve this problem? And then as you work further and further, you say, how can you help me solve this problem? And inevitably what you're going to encounter is like these fucking network security people, right? Like, and our policy, like, it just like, I can't move beyond this. Mm -hmm. And then you want to ask your vendor how to do it. And then, and then at that point, it's sort of like the vendors, like, ah, the network security people, what we're really talking about here is that you don't have like a self-service cloud, fully automated, blah, blah, blah thing. Right. And so like the issue is the way that you're thinking about doing networking and security was great at the time, but we need to start rethinking how we do that, right? And then that, you know, you're pulling on this thread that's based on the actual needs that you're discovering versus like, you know, we're just gonna, it's not even, it's, uh, what are the phrases? You got lift and shift and like burn down and rebuild, 
What, what's the second phrase I'm looking for, Brandon? It's just like when you just like we got like totally you know really right. I always say like a lot of times we talk about like rehost, replatform, you know, and then you can get to retire, right? And you can also get to the point yeah, of yeah, like, yeah. Um, just building something new. But I mean, I guess to that whole end, I think you know you're hitting on some of the, the the points there. But I think you know the idea of like starting with one application, very smart, right? Most people always want to have this grandiose vision, but I think a lot of times like just acknowledging you don't know and starting with something small. And the other thing that I think is just most cl- customers and clients, people doing this, don't take advantage of is like, just go to the training, like go to the training for, sure. for these yeah, companies. Yeah. Like, even if you're not a hands-on person necessarily, if you're like really the one that's going to make the decision about like which platform and stuff, most of these companies offer like anywhere from like one to three days or a lot of online training. It's like, there's no better way to like really do this than just to do the sample applications, like move a couple of sample applications around in really all one of those five platforms I just talked about, because just doing that, even if you never do it again, lets you then have the better conversation in your EBC, right? Like really understanding it, like really knowing where that part is. So I guess I always just always think about like, you know, sometimes I don't think, I think maybe vendors and me being firmly in the space as well. Like, you know, I think we just kind of assume all these clients, right. They just sort of like, they want to stay at this high level all the time. Right. And it's like, and there's this tendency because I think executives and leadership at your, at anyone's company wants to also stay at the high level, but to like, I mean, to become that trusted advisor, it's like almost the willingness to be like, all right, we're now going to walk into the lab together and we're going to spend a half a day trying to do some, like build some stuff and get some hands-on experience so that this demystifies this for you a little bit and that you can have an opinion about OpenShift, VMware, AWS, and GCP. And maybe you'll decide that like they're all the same or maybe you'll decide that there's a strong preference there or maybe it'll become apparent to you that based on your previous experience in the history that your company has, that one vendor does make a lot of sense to stay with. Um, But like that in my mind is would be so much more useful than like, Many, totally. many of the PowerPoint presentations that we end up like almost promising you that in this 45 minutes, I'll explain all of this to you and you'll feel good. It's like, no, like you need to experience it. That will give you the knowledge to make your the best decision. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, like so many things, I think, I think what we've been, we've been uh, driving towards is like, ultimately, you know, what in, in, in one of these whatever this exchange is going on, these two, like a buyer and a seller circling around, eventually you want the buyer to be like, what do you really want? Right. (laughs) Just, just to be like, what, like, tell me what you want, man. Right. (laughs) Like, like I, I sell these things. Do you need those things? If you need those things, like, what are your problems? And like, maybe I can solve them. Maybe I can't, but like, you know, we're all in computers. And we're all going to tell you that, like, we have the best vision for this and we're differentiated and so forth and so on. But, like, you got any problems I can solve? Right. Like, let's let's talk about that. And and then maybe what I can get to staying at a high level is to say. For those problems that you have, here's how we generally think about making those problems better. Right. And like our approach is this. So for example, right? Like, and, and it's going to, since I use some sort of pejorative term to refer to them earlier, it's going to sound like I'm uh, further pooping on IBM, but you know, like, like if you had problems with your mainframe, IBM's answer would be like, well, you should use this better way of doing stuff on a mainframe, right? Or 
if you don't like WebSphere, we have this Liberty thing and you can migrate to a smaller version of WebSphere and you're still like in the IBM world of doing stuff. And that might be totally cool, right? Or it might be like, what were those? Um, there was some unemployment thing, right? And in New Jersey, was it? Or somewhere on the East Coast and no one, there was no more COBOL programmers so they couldn't right. do anything. Yep. And it might just be like, well, your problem is you can't do. So <laughs> you should do something different. Right. And so our approach, you know, anyone who's on the in the x86 or as mainframe people would say distributed world is like, well, our approach to solving mainframe problems is not to be on the mainframe. Right. And that's like what we do. And so like if your problem is a mainframe, like is the problem that you just need to use it better and like run Java and Linux on the mainframe or is your problem that you need to eliminate the mainframe? So like. Let's figure that out, right? And like, if I'm a mainframe person, I'm gonna try to convince you to stay on the mainframe. And if I'm a distributed person, I'm gonna try to convince you to not be on the mainframe and I'll be upfront about that. But like, what do you really want? Like, what what do you need? And like, let's talk about it. Instead of like, you know, headwinds and macro forces <laughs> and we all need to be software vendors, like, yeah. So that that's why, like, you know, when I was going over this earlier in my daily thing and as we were just talking about, like, it's I feel like what the best type of, of discussions are, we're working on this problem, which is usually like in my field, like this type of software or this business need that we have and we can't do what we want. And it might just be a straight up technical issue, in which case I'm useless. Right. I like I don't even. Like, I don't know how to do technical stuff anymore. I'm the guy who likes lining shit up in PowerPoint so much that it's perhaps my top feature ever written in software. Mm -hmm. So it's either just like a technical issue and someone has to be like, oh, you got to use that hyphen X flag on your JVM and it's totally going to work out. Or it's just sort of like a mindset problem or like a framing problem of like, oh, right. What I'm supposed to do is actually have a team of developers and a product manager that delivers weekly and blah, 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 right? And then right. that might solve the problem that I have. And um, I mean, it's hard to get to that point because I think, I mean, it's just like that's, people aren't that straightforward at things, but that's why I think like a good tactic is if you're in one of these organizations, like you should pick some small projects and just Start using those and see what happens. And as you encounter problems, like ask your vendors what they got, right? And like, you know, there's probably a certain set of your vendors who are going to tell you, there's probably a name for this response, who are going to tell you that you're wrong. They do it in a gentle way, but they're going to tell you that like, oh, you shouldn't have that problem or whatever. It's like, it's like you know, my old favorite thing with system admin, like uh, smart people within computers is I would go up to them and ask them how I do this thing. And once they ask me why I want to do that thing, I'm just like, oh, fuck. Right. <laughs> like, just like that's I don't want to have this conversation. Right. That's just just I don't want to go read a man. Yeah, it's a long time or, to have that conversation. And I think that's yeah. the same thing. Like and when someone's asking you, like, how to do something with your complicated enterprise project, they, sometimes they just want to know that they don't need to be told about Netflix and digital transformation every single time. Right. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, then, and then so the second part is like. And this is a very like, you know, I started uh, for better or worse, like listening to some uh, some dimming books. Right. And, you know, it's a very like uh, dimming John Willis. Like there's this spectrum. I think I think you got John Willis, who's 
a pretty nice, empathetic, even-keeled guy, despite what you sort of may think. But if, if you spend some time with him, you realize he's, he's, he's a softy. And then I think after that, in the gradient of like painful learning, you've got dimming. And then after that, you have good old Andrew Clay Schaefer. But they're all driving at the same point, especially when you listen to Dimming. And that point is like, you know, you should know what the fuck you're doing, right? Like, it's sort of like you should, like, have knowledge about the situation that you're going into, especially if you're a manager. You should kind of, like, know the way the systems work. You're responsible for, like, being knowledgeable about things. And you need to make sure that you're constantly learning and adapting and you have enough knowledge that if you were sitting in an EBC, you could, even if you were like a CIO or an EVP or whatever, you could ask very specific questions about the problems you were facing and kind of like know like what to ask for. Like, like you shouldn't necessarily be there to sort of be told what a portfolio is and, and like how to think about things, but you should kind of come with problems that, that you want to solve. And then finally, the third part is like, I remember one EBC we were at and at the time it was kind of like just comically simple, but like we were going over, I think I've related this, this tale before, but we were going over, you know, pivotal cloud foundry stuff and whatever. And one of the people there just kept asking us over and over again to basically, it wasn't exactly this, but it was basically demo getting WordPress running. And what he wanted, he, he wanted us, what he wanted us to show him was like, get a MySQL database and a front end and just like, show me how you would do that. Yeah. Right. And, mm -hmm. and like, it was, it was a good, like, it was a good example. It's not, it's not what I'm driving at because what would have been better is, is like, all right, I got these three applications I'm working on, or I've got these three businesses I'm trying to improve. And let me just tell you what, what they're trying to do and the problems that I'm having doing it. And then tell me what you got. Right. But it, it, it was like kind of a cheap trick way to basically just be like, I don't know, man, we're just going to be deploying software. So <laughs> can you show me how you do that? Yeah, just show me exactly. It's because it's proxy. Like, I don't want to explain my stuff to you. Just do this, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, I know Tesla is a big threat and Airbnb <laughs> is a big deal. You know, whatever. I get it. So like, how? you know, like, as, as they say in that one Rick and Morty episode, show me what you got, right? Like, just... Uh, so that that is like maybe maybe I you know it's it's odd I do uh, I get overly nervous and and consumed with EBC stuff but I think it's because of that ambiguity of just like I don't know what people want to hear like beyond the uh, the standard thing that I do and I mean it always turns out well which is nice for me but it, it just feels like there's something that better that we could be doing than just going over this stuff that you could go watch a recording of me doing. Yeah. I mean, that's, <laughs> Which, that's the key thing. It's like ask questions, make the EBC about, make it a conversation, have everyone um, get something out of it, or just, just go watch the videos and don't attend the EBC. That's sort of the, the shorthand of all of that, I think. Yeah. Hmm. Well, there we are. I've totally discredited most of the work that I do. So that is uh... perfect. Well done. Kote. <laughs> That's a good, uh, so you should go watch those VMworld recordings. Uh, they're good. There. I will say many of them highly produced. I liked them. There was a lot of good ones yeah. in there. A lot of good stuff. Yeah, there was, there, there was a good one. Uh, well, there were many good ones, but, but, but one that I think is actually that that's as far as like this mindset of the person you were, the, the vendor you would be working with. One of my coworkers, Dormain, 
she has a good video about um, what's the deal with the way that that Tanzu thinks about software development. Um, and, you know, as, as I went over to advertise it again in my uh, Tanzu talk daily thing earlier today, uh, she does a good job. I think maybe I wasn't paying attention fully and I only zoomed in on this part, but like essentially what I think she argued or what I'm arguing that she argued was if you were to pick just one thing when it comes to improving the way that like you do software, just find all the wait time and eliminate that, right? Like there's other stuff that you'll get to after that, but like, that's probably a good, she didn't say it this way, but that's probably a good one to five years of work that you can focus on and just eliminate wait time. And what is her name? Is it Dormain? Am I saying it correctly? Let me. I'm, I'm going to embarrass my same. Dormain Dreowitz. All right. Well, let's just say she uh, she got some FaceTime. I think she was in the the CIO or no, sorry, the COO video. I forget his name, but like Pat throws it to the COO, and then I believe she did. She walks through like a pretty extensive app modernization uh, pitch. Like I don't know if this is exactly the one you're talking about, but it was kind of in the main. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the she's, main keynote. You can tell she's standing in a gigantic room. Yeah, yeah. She echo. is. I mean, I don't yep. know where it's filmed. Yep. I mean, it's highly produced. It looks good, but she, I, I don't know. She, it, it got my attention, right? Like I actually slowed the video down and watched the whole, <laughs> that's, that's the measurement of greatness. I was like, oh, I'm going to watch this. I thought that was really good. So you have to, yeah. uh, I know you're, uh, I don't know. You probably already have a, I guess it's not a pivotal conversation anymore. It's a, a VMware. You have to uh, interview her or something, or maybe, she, or maybe she yeah, can yeah. bring her on this show, Kote. You can have her talk here. It's like I think she had a lot of good stuff in in uh, her section. It was good. Yeah, yeah, it was nice. Well, Brandon, do we have anything for the software defined talk uh, bureaucracy corner? We to do. Go over. We've got a bunch today. So one, I want to say I sent a pack of stickers to Maxim's team in Oslo. And he told us that uh, thanks for all the effort you put into the podcast and the great off-topic opening discussions that always help brighten up our day, even on a cold Norwegian winter morning. So fantastic. Mm. That was great. And he wanted, I think he wanted like 10 stickers, so I sent him 20 because there's a whole team in Oslo. So I don't know, Kote, I don't know if you've gotten uh, to Oslo yet, but you just need to add that to your uh, your list and because uh, evidently there's a whole bunch of people over there that listen to us. So. You know, oh, you're, good. You can write yeah, that I've off. Yeah, I've been to Oslo. You know, you know, I remember Oslo, uh, you know, all sorts of good things about it uh, that was fun. We ate at some restaurant that was like over some flybridge near some docks and like the photography museum. I forget, but it was it was a pretty good place. They had it was one of these places that still had waiters in like um, dinner jackets, like red dinner jackets. It was amazing in that respect. But uh, Oslo was also a place where I broke my previous phone. I, I was uh, oh, I was running sad. up. You know how Tragedy. you know how it goes, or you know how it used to go. You've uh, you're somewhere and you've called an Uber to just like donde esta my hotel, and like <laughs> uh, you're not quite sure where the Uber's going to show up, and so like you got to talk to the person, and you're like, whoa, I'm in Norway. Is this going to work? I mean, everyone speaks English in Norway, but. Uh, and then I'm looking around and, you know, trying to figure it out. And I was I was looking at my phone and running up some stairs and I tripped and I did the thing where you Oof. put your hand down yep. to catch yourself. And, yep. and that it wasn't the end of that phone, but it was a good excuse to buy a new phone. All right. uh, much, much better than my excuse of sitting in the ocean with the phone in my pocket. That was that. Also, I've done that uh, in the pool. I did that in the pool. So don't do that. All right. So thank uh, thank the team in Oslo for listening. Also, uh, Jonathan, uh, one of the listeners, he suggested uh, Cote. Are you ready for it? Rasburnades, if I'm saying that right. It's an open source project for aspiring SREs 
or DevOps engineers to learn how to cut their teeth on Kubernetes using a distilled set of security, networking, and enablement tools. So, of course, anything with Raspberry Pis. Uh, I sent it off to the Raspberry department. Uh, Depay department here at Software Defined Talk. That means I just slacked uh, Matt Ray. I was like, you need to check this out. So there you go. We just were talking about, hey, you know, go do the training. Well, I guess evidently with uh, Raspberry Natives, you can stand up like a whole data center of Raspberry Pis in your house and learn a whole bunch of stuff. So I don't know. I don't know if it's good or bad. I can't say I've done it, but uh, Jonathan said it was pretty cool. So check that out. Yeah, it does sound good. And then finally, I'm just going to advertise our uh, ourselves, myself. So you should go back, you should listen to the interview I did this week with Michael Levon uh, on developer relations, go programming and code quality. And we talked a lot about automation and stuff in there. So it was a fun interview. Enjoyed interviewing Michael. Uh, so listen to that. Got a couple other interviews planned in the coming weeks. So those will show up in the feed as well. Always looking for feedback of who you think is uh, we should interview, who are people that you want to hear more about, topics you want to hear more about. And uh, we always just want praise, just praise. I'm not looking for any constructive criticism. I don't need any, <laughs> like a zero. I need zero constructive con- criticism. You can uh, mail it to the second half review process that in, uh, in uh, was it work, uh, work day? You, if you have any of that kind of yes, stuff, put right. it in a work day and send me a note because I don't really read yeah, any of that. Yeah. Um, but that's it. So that's uh, the latest stuff. And then finally, uh, if, you, uh, if you want a sticker, uh, and uh, you're in Oslo or you're anywhere in the world, just send your postal address to stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com, and I will send you a sticker anywhere in the world. And there's, uh, there's EnvoyCon coming up on October 15th or on October 15th, and, uh, and then there's another KubeCon coming up uh, November 17th to uh, 20th, which, which should be fine. And, you know, if I can have a little ad here, as I've mentioned several times, I do like a uh, daily show over at twitch.tv slash VMwareTanzu, but... Other than advertising that, since I am here in Europe, I would like to talk to more people who are also in Europe. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to hunt out people, but it's really hard to get sort of like users, if you will, people in enterprises, customers. And uh, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if you're listening to this, you probably know the types of things I'm interested in and uh, like talking about. But it'd be nice to get some people on as uh, guests who are in the, uh, the EMEA, as it were, to talk about that stuff. So it's not just... A bunch of Yankees that I that I end up. I, I know plenty of Americans that I could talk with, but I want to stop working before dinner, so I don't want to uh, schedule late with the, those Californians. They need to they need to figure their shit out with respect to time zone alignment. They're like way over there. Not good. <laughs> Not good. Uh, so uh, as always, uh, if you want to see the show notes of lots of stuff we didn't talk about, there's uh, a good link to the uh, the VM World Media Kit that links all of the different announcements and things that were going on. Uh, I'll have to try to hunt down a link to that uh, that domain presentation eventually. It usually takes a while to make the links easily accessible. But if you want to find all that, you can go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 260. Another round number. How, how long have we been doing this, Brandon? Like five years? Yep, about five years. That's right. That's That's amazing. I don't even know. What is this, 2020, 2015? Yep. That's that's right when I started uh, at Pivotal. I think I was still at 451 when we started. I think that's right. That is right. Yeah. Man, do you remember the extensive research I would do before shows? Yeah, I would write good old lots days. Of notes. What do you, hey, don't break the fourth wall here. We still do extensive research. Yes, you know, that's extensive. What, that's what everyone needs to know. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, uh, and you should join us in the Slack where there's lots of conversation. I think Brandon put, as he called it, the puzzle chart up, and I haven't even read them yet, but there were 46 replies. <laughs> to that thread, which I look forward to going in there. Now, with all of that said, Brandon, what is your recommendation this week? 
Um, my recommendation is just an episode here of Under the Radar. So Under the Radar is a podcast hosted by uh, Marco Arment, and uh, I think it's Dave Smith. Uh, and so, you know, Marco, he makes uh, Overcast. Many of you use it, and you know, he's on like a ATP and some other podcasts. But this one was really about David Smith. He wrote an app called Widget Smith. And Widget Smith uh, is essentially a way in the new iOS to like create widgets and really customize the colors, the look, the fonts. And so, right, he built this and he was talking about building it. So, um, but it has rocketed to the number one downloaded app in the app store this week. And he's just one person, right? And so this episode is him kind of telling the story of kind of this, you know, he put this out thinking it would be maybe successful, but had no idea it would achieve this level of excess and how, what it's like to go from being just kind of an indie developer that maybe gets like a hundred emails a day to getting a hundred emails a minute uh, with around questions and things like that. And I think it's kind of just fascinating to listen to it both why widget Smith sort of took off. Right. Cause I think it was built as like, Oh, I'll just be a nice little way to configure widgets, but it got promoted quite a bit on TikTok, and lots of people on TikTok like to just customize mm. their screens to like show how they look like, you know, want everything pink or want anything blue or want anything font. So like this idea that I think even Apple, I would love to like be in the Apple meetings where I don't think anyone had any idea that like, customizing your various app screens is almost a sense of fashion and an app that allowed you to do this, that just kind of like, if you will turn everything the same color and the same font was going to have this like widespread adoption. So, you know, as much as we talk about on this podcast about business strategy, about, you know, thinking things through, understanding your users, there's still this, this notion of like, nobody knows anything. Like sometimes you just build stuff. You have no idea why people are going to like it. And then suddenly they like it. So this is one person's story of uh, how he went to it. And if you want the longer version of it, you can listen to the John Gruber podcast. Um, it's called the talk show where he's on for a couple hours and they talk about it. So just an interesting story. Sometimes there are still hits in iOS. Sometimes there are, you know, if you will, quote unquote, overnight successes. So listen to that if you're interested in it. Yeah, we we you, we we need to have some time where you, you tell me about all the iOS 14 stuff, Brandon. That's not really our thing, but <laughs> I, I I remember you were talking about the app library, and I still don't quite know what's going on with. Well, that. that's good because no one. Luckily, there's no podcast that cover Apple, so we'll, we'll be no, we'll be the no. only ones. We'll get on that yeah, for sure. Happy no, to do yeah. it. Well, I, uh, like related, uh, I was just thinking, uh, you know, also an iOS 14. That's right. That's a version, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. So. Uh, you know, I, I have always been a fan. Well, well, I like to wake up at 6am in the morning. Well, like, I like the effect of doing that because I get like an hour to myself before, uh, you know, other people wake up and, uh, I've got to do stuff. So it's nice to have some time. And, uh, now the key to having alone time in the morning is that other people don't wake up. And if they do wake up, they're very quiet and they don't wake up other people. And so for a long time, uh, I've used like, uh, the, uh, like a vibrate thing for my alarm, like on my watch, I used to have another one. And then, and with your Apple watch, there used to be this thing called like sleep aware or whatever. I think it might even by, be by the same person. I forget, but it's like, it's some, it's some alarm that you can set. And it was always really, uh, do people still say janky? It was always very janky. Like you, it, it, very weird. But in this new version, sort of hidden away, you know, Apple had this bedtime thing, which is total bullshit. Like if you ever use that in previous versions, whatever their thing was, was just junk. But like 
this one, you can set an alarm. You can say like, I want to sleep between 11 and 6 a.m. And one, it'll tell you like 30 minutes before that, that you should go to bed. But then two, if you kind of hunt down in the features, you can actually have it do an alarm in the morning, like a, a wake up time. And you can have it do like vibrate your watch for you. And it all like works. It's not this weird, strange setup in that app that I used for a long time. And so that's what I recommend. You can, uh, if, if you go in and you look at the, the clock app and you set, you do the bedtime thing and you got to go find that feature where it actually makes an alarm go off. And then it's delightful when the alarm goes off, it changes the, the home screen to tell you like today's weather and, uh, how things are going to be going. And it even gives you reminders. I need to turn this off because to your point of like, I don't need constructive feedback. I got enough like fucking construction projects that are going <laughs> poorly in my life. Like it tells you like how your trends are and how you're doing. And it's just like, you know what? I know how I'm doing because I am here living right. it. I am aware of it, but <laughs> it's, awesome. it's, it's, it's pretty good. You should use that. Well, as always, this has been software defined talk. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, kind of uh, check out the Slack channel, all sorts of things. You can go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 260. All sorts of things we didn't have there. You should really join the Slack channel and kind of join in. And uh, I think we've more or less figured out doing these live video things on the Twitch, which we have at twitch.tv slash podcast. I sort of think maybe we should use YouTube instead. I don't know. I'm, I'm still not convinced. But uh, it's it's been great. There's been a bunch of people chatting here, so probably I shouldn't say things like that. It, it uh, works out well here. Uh, somehow I stopped the stream midway through. I don't know what happened, but it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I started it again. Somehow oh, okay. I just stopped. I was, say, I was like looking at the chat. It looks like people are there. Yes. No, no, I, I don't. Maybe there's some hotkey that I pressed. <laughs> Who knows? But uh, with that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye.